Hey, Harrison, welcome to Rising Giants. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, a longtime partner, Rising Giants and Cambodia Investment Review. We'd like to first start off by talking about your, your overall journey, like in the media space. So can you just give the audience a bit of a framing on how you ended up wanting to launch your own media company mm. and uh, what, yeah, what the journey so far has been for Cambodia Investment Review? Fantastic. Thanks again, guys. It's been a uh... It's been too long. I've been always wanting to to get on the show. I've been, I reckon, I've pretty much listened to every single podcast you've done multiple times. Thank and, you for uh, being a loyal supporter of the show. That's all right. I've, I've got the badge. I think on Facebook, number one badge, and uh, it's great to be a partnership uh, in Cambodia. It's always important to have good partners, so that's been great. And thanks for the question. Um, yeah, my journey into, I guess, the the media space of Cambodia would have originally started. And I was very lucky to get a scheme or a, a grant scholarship from the Australian government under the new Colombo plan, which they were trying to encourage more students to basically get out of the US and the UK and drive them into more of the growth areas of Australia's region, yep, mainly Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam. Um, and for me, that was, was where I ended up in Vietnam, going to study at RMIT University. And uh, from there, while it wasn't a lot of studying, it was a lot of cross-cultural experiences. And uh, with a very generous monthly allowance, it also gave me the opportunity to go traveling. Basically, that was around, around the region. Um, so this would have been around in 2016, which always stands out in my mind because it was the same day I flew into Cambodia was when Donald Trump got elected. So that was my first experience of entering into Cambodia in 2016. And from there, I just realized that the energy and the excitement and just the pace of Cambodia was just rapidly growing. Um, this would have been around the real boom time of the Chinese investments. 2016 to 2019 is when uh, Sunukul was just going crazy with infrastructure. Um, I did a bit of backpacking down in Korong and Sunukul, I think I just got the end of it of what people used to say was that little bit of paradise in Cambodia before a lot of that investment came in. So yeah, from there, I was then um, basically doing a year in Vietnam. And I always said I'd be you know, planning to do work in, work in the region. Fast forward to about 2018, finished my degree, was then looking to do some work, again, returned to uh, this time Thailand, where I pretty much got my first experience of doing media in, in Asia, which is working with the Bangkok Post which is obviously a bit of a legacy media, um, one of the biggest print ones in Thailand. And while I could see that I probably didn't want to go and work for that type of uh, newspaper, the, the, the media really grabbed me. During my many visits across the border into Cambodia during my time in Thailand, I met my uh, now wife. And I think from there, that was what really decided me to, um, to cement my place in Cambodia. And from there, I was uh, lucky enough to get a role for Khmer Times, which is probably the, the most well-known English language news, newspaper and news site in the, in the country. I did two years there. I was very lucky enough to meet so many different people. Um, the opportunities that the newspaper gave me was fantastic, because I'm sure you two have experienced that when you ask people for an interview and you've got a platform behind you, people very rarely say no. Um, and that would be some advice to give to anyone who's coming into a new market even just open a blog or just get some sort of platform that you can then reach out to people and, and get an instant connection. So yeah, two years of working for uh, the Khmer Times, um, 
getting my contacts and and learning the ropes a little bit about how media operates in Cambodia um, was basically the in the same timing we launched into Cambodia Investment Review. Um, so yeah, that was basically how we we came we, we came to be. And like you mentioned, like how does Cambodian media operate? So how how do you say it compares to um, Thailand or even Australia, the other countries that you've worked in? Yeah, for us, um, I mean, media means so many different things. It's such a broad brush. Uh, but I would say that from a revenue side and from a content side, that Cambodia is quite uh, unique because it's very young and. A lot of its media reputation regionally is also very negative or very uh, random. So most people would what they know about Cambodia is going to be Khmer Rouge, Angkor Wat, um, you know, then random news that comes from that. Uh, where actually, what is happening in Cambodia is is quite amazing, and it's important for us to try and tell that story and not let other uh, other regional players tell the story for us. So the biggest differences I find is that between Thailand and Australia, they control their narrative of their own countries much more in the media. Where in Cambodia, you're really fighting against a huge wave, wave of, um, I guess you'd say, people who pre-concepts about the country. Um, and most of the media is, is, is not always correct or very much sensationalized. And um, so the biggest difference here is that you've got to be fighting to be tell the story that you want to be that you want to be told. And what would you say the the main stories are that you focused on at Cambodia Investment Review? What's um, yeah, what's been like the most read and followed parts of of what you produced? Yeah, well, for us, we're a digital first or digital only. Sorry, is a better word. Digital only uh, news platform focus on business and investment news in Cambodia, ideally for regional investors or for local investors that can speak and obviously read English. Um, I would say that the biggest news that people want to know about in Cambodia is when a big regional or international player enters the market. I feel that there's a little bit of a sense of validation that comes with that. Um, like I remember when you know, H&M was going to open a store in Cambodia. I think that was one of our most read articles. Um, I think we also got a bit of a scoop on that one, so we might have been early. Um, but I, people just love that sort of stuff. Or, you know, when a big international player buys into a local bank, like a Cleda. These stories, people feel, wow, Cambodia is actually becoming on the international stage. I want to know more about it. Um, and then, of course, if you've got an international player, that news will be reverberated around the region. And then you'll have people in Singapore and in Thailand and Malaysia clicking on it because they want to know why they're entering the market and why they might not be. Um, so for us, anything to do with a big international brand coming to Cambodia is always the number one hit on our site. Yeah. And, and to continue from that, in terms of regionally you mentioned about larger players that are covering the space could you give some examples of those that that have covered cambodia um you know one of the things that max and i have discussed beforehand is you know people like uh bbc or these large like legacy media outlets don't really cover cambodia so there's like an intermediary between that 
And uh, it's it's a bit of a shame that if something is covered about Cambodia, it's something that's not of you know of a, of a business significance like you're you're discussing about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Cambodia does get covered. I actually think for the for the market size and for the population size, we actually do punch above our weight for international media, without a doubt. It's just the wrong media, or it's the it's the, always the negative media that gets picked up. Uh, BBC Al Jazeera actually does a lot of stories, um, and they're they're fair stories. I'm not saying these the, the stories are false news at all, but you know, 99% of it is always negative, um, and that I think comes a little bit from the readership and from the editorials. Uh, we do a lot of work with the journalist. Uh, there's a basically group of international journalists here. They have an association, and um, you know, you go for coffee with them, and they say that's what sells to the editor so when they try and pitch a story the negative story is what gets accepted and not a positive news story um so at the end of the day that's because it's what readers want to to read about want to click on Uh, and that's a bit of a shame um so that's why again it's so important for people like cambodia investment review and there's some other ones that are entering the market doing a great job to really promote the great things about cambodia in a fair and balanced manner um, and just give that counterweight. Yeah, I think the I think the issue with well, let's say some of these like for example, you mentioned like BBC News, right? In the UK, we are generally like quite cynical, and we like to kind of focus on issues, not necessarily like mm. solutions. But I think probably the the better analogy would be something like a Bloomberg, right, or a CNBC. Like that, their whole mantra is like you know progress, economic development, you know stock market growth, mm. all this kind of thing, and I think that's probably the the kinds of media companies that maybe you then want to work with to to get that get a better story told on on the business side or even if it's the the regional startup news like deal street asia e27 etc yeah without a doubt um we sort of saw ourselves as a a very niche version of deal street asia uh, a very cambodian focused version of it admittedly they don't actually report that much about cambodia either Admittedly, is not always sometimes a lot to report about. <laughs> so hopefully we can get some more startups to to reach that big international stage and they will report on it. Um, but no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's uh, CNN has been doing a bit more with Cambodia re-Baikong. So this has been uh, Her Excellency Chiesa-Ray's sort of baby that's just taken a life of its own in the international media. It's um, like a blockchain-based payments uh, platform that banks have been locking into and there was a lot of attention internationally about this and i think that's one of the first business and investment news stories that has really broken through is that cambodia is really leading the way in its digital payments and um it's great it's putting cambodia in a new light i mean chisere is such a great um poster as well for cambodia um you know all the things that you want to you, you want to promote with the country she's done a fantastic job and uh, we actually we need more we need more actors like that um, to be to be t- selling Cambodia. Yeah, and the perception versus reality aspect too. Uh, do you feel like it's you know from on our side at least when it comes to investors, um, a, a lot of times it's it's not until uh, an investor comes into Cambodia's market is speaking with the startup founders, going to an event or two, and and actually walking away with. 
my perception of originally what I thought about this space is a lot different than what I'm walking away with. Do you feel like with within the media space, journalism, any sort of these these other channels, do you feel like it, it would take kind of like inter- international uh, or individuals from other international outlets to come in here, actually experience and see the stories and, and be able to see what's going on and kind of walk away with, okay, maybe now there could be this positive perception and angle that we want to write about going back to these larger outlets to try to change the uh, perception of these you know negative stories get more eyeballs on it mm. yeah i think without a doubt we um we like personally we have a i guess a sister company called Aquari consultancy um which is run by the previous ambassador to singapore mr michael tan and um he has been trying to bring people over from singapore vice versa going on trips to indonesia um, and doing exactly that um, but yeah, it's, it's, it takes time. I mean, these perceptions have been going on for 30 years. You know, it was civil war not that long ago. And so anyone in the region has always got that kind of in their mind of, of Cambodia. Um, so people are doing it, but it will take time and it will take government resources and it will take private sector resources and people have to be patient. And while there are problems, they need to be addressed. And I think just back to Max's point, uh, in Australia, in the UK, we run our our media is done a bit differently, uh, and the way the media and the government operates, you know, it's always in Australia we would say keep the bastards honest. That's what media should be doing as 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 the, you know the fourth estate, all that concept. Where here, you know, that's not really how the media operates. The media is not really seen as should be anti-government or should be questioning government all the time. Um, so I think it's also important that the that the Cambodian officials do understand that the way the media operates outside Cambodia um, and outside Asia is going to be different, and finding that balance is really what's key. Um, and that's that's much my opinion. And speaking of balance, too, uh, you know, being a media, you know, with with CIR, and I'm sure with all other media outlets too, I, I feel like one of the one of the things that may Cross my cross your mind or be a challenge is the type of content that you're releasing, mm. and the challenges of can something be too controversial? Can something have some sort of ramification where it could impact the brand of the business? Do you ever feel like maybe within your own business of Cambodia Investment Review is that something that you think about with every article that you release or 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 kind of you know direction of a a story that you're trying to tell? Yeah, that's. I think that's the question everyone asks me. Actually, um, of course, you know, there's probably nine times out of ten articles, there's no issue at all what you're talking about. However, there's always that one comment that might have been made in an event, or that one subject that gets brought up, and you know that it's quite sensitive. Um, and obviously, from the the get go, we said we focus on business and investment. We do a little bit of life and luxury. Um, but we don't do anything about politics. It's always been our, you know, we're apolitical. That's always been what we've, we've stood for. I think in Cambodia, you can be, you can't be anti-government. But you don't have to be pro-government. That's how I would say it. And that's how I think CIR is. We've really used that as a, as a baseline for how we, we approach these subjects. Um, in addition, there's probably a lot of self-censorship that goes on. 
I can hand on heart say that I have never been told by any official to not write something or to not post something. It doesn't mean that we also sort of sometimes know the line of how of operating in Cambodia. Um, but yeah, I mean, the media here is, in comparisons, it is reasonably fair. It's, uh, I know if you look at some of the listings on the international sites, it will be down the bottom. But from my experience, that's not what it's like. And again, it comes back to, my, to the point I was saying before about understanding the context and the, the way things are run differently. The media is run differently in Cambodia than it would be in Australia. And as an Australian, you might say that's the wrong way. But when you're here, that's, that's how we operate. Yeah, no, I, I think the whole right and wrong is just, it's just a bit, it's a bit silly. It's more just like it's different, right? Mm. And, and, and countries are going to take time to, to either move in one direction or another. So you can't expect things to be, to change so quickly. Um, you mentioned about like some of the sensitivities. Are there any that you'd, uh, that you want to like, um, that you want to bring up, like that would you, you would say, like kind of some of the topics that you've been focusing on in the last few years that have had some sensitivities. I'd be curious, like which, which ones or which topics where you have to have a, there needs to be more of a fine line. Yeah, I think the obvious ones have been, um, you know, a lot around uh, large investor schemes and as well as naming, directly naming people. Um, you know, it's also a lot of thing in Cambodia around face as well. You know, calling on someone out in any context for negative um, behavior or for things that have gone wrong or things that have failed is a real slight to, to someone. I mean, in any, in any culture, it's a slight to, to have a go at someone. But here in Asia, it's even more so. If you start, you know, naming officials or you start accusing people of doing things, um, that's where it, it's... The, probably the line will be crossed. Um, and in Cambodia, there's also a sense of that those things don't, if there's an issue, we, we speak about it privately. We, we, we don't air our dirty laundry into the media um, like we do in the West. If something goes wrong in the West, the first thing is, you know, I'm calling up in Australia a current affair or whatever the, the alternative version of that is, 60 minutes, get, in, get involved. Um, but here we don't really do that. That's not how things are done in Cambodia. Um, and so you have to remember that doing business here is, it is, it is more, you know, closed doors and privacy and connections and that's how you have to operate. And uh, yeah, if you, here's some more advice. If something goes wrong in your business, don't, the first thing you do is jump online and tweet about it or Facebook post about it. Very rarely does that make things better. You know, just as a quick comment, it, it reminds me of a on Apple TV. There's a TV show called The Morning, <clears throat> called The Morning Show, and a fantastic cast. But it, but watching that show, it it goes through like current events and things that have that have happened in recent history, and how quick these like legacy media companies, as soon as it happens, it's literally like a one hour, two hour turnaround of trying to get everyone on air, trying to get the story together, trying to pull together the individuals to try and like tell this negative piece. And it's, it's, it's insane how that this is, it, it, to me, it's crazy, like how that whole operation works from that, from that side. Yeah, I definitely, the 24 hour news cycle, we sort of call it. Uh, we're luckily here, I mean, I was having a, a conversation with the original owner of the Pompadon Pen Post, uh, Michael Hayes, and he was saying when they first launched, it was a fortnightly edition. 
So for two weeks, I would, two weeks I would do a post or literally a print. And fast forward to now where CIR is doing, we're adding about three to four articles every day, five to six days a week. Um, and even I find that pressure to keep up with. It's, 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 it just doesn't end up. It's always relenting. Um, and so you've got sites like Khmer Times, for example, just posting maybe 100 articles a day um, of varying lengths, of course. Uh, but there's just so much noise out there now. And so I think um, it was important for us also when we launched the company to try and we didn't always want to be first. While every journalist loves to grab a scoop, be the number one, we always found it better just to make sure all the facts were correct. We had opportunities for people to review what had been said about things. And we always preferred to take that step back and to be the one that would be the overseer of the event or the overseer of the news and provide summaries and, and reports. That was also more of a, um, a business model for us. Maybe diving a little bit more into uh, Cambodia Investment Review. Can you talk to us about the structure of the company, how many employees you have, kind of what are the different functions and areas of the business? Yeah. So when I first launched, um, I mean, for anyone who knows about media, making money out of media is very tough. Normally, uh, these days, the media is either, either it's got government owned, which is very common in many countries, uh, or government funded. Even Australia, the, you know, or the BBC, ABC, government funded. I mean, they have charters that are different, but a very common model how the government funded or um, a very wealthy funder which has happened to, you know, New York Post and Wall Street Journal and these things, you know, it's very wealthy people having their own agendas. And that's in Cambodia as well. We've got those models. But the traditional model of making money from subscriptions or revenue is not that common anymore. And for CIR, um, we had some seed funding to set up the company, which mostly went into website design, uh, office space, registration fees, and then a, a run-up period while we, we onboarded clients. Um, we realized that Cambodia don't like to pay for, for things like subscriptions. Uh, so we had to go to the only other model we have, which is uh, basically advertorials and banner advertisements. And I can assure you, you have, to, uh, you have to balance the books well to make sure that that model is successful. Um, so when we first launched, we decided that we would do a basically employee system. We'd hire reporters, pay them monthly salary, and they'd attend events. I quickly realized that there was no incentive for the reporters to be attending events. Um, so I would regularly get people canceling on me. And I secondly realized that in a month where there was not many advertorials coming in, it was very hard to pay everyone's salaries. So I quickly shifted to a freelance model. And so that means as a business, we are super lean with only a handful of actual employees. And instead, we have a system where most people are put onto a freelance concept. Uh, so we pay per article or per event. Um, if the event's outside Phnom Penh, we help out with transportation fees, maybe an overnight stay somewhere. Um, if it's in Phnom Penh, then we, it's, it's obviously a more simple process. Uh, but doing that, and giving the flexibility around that month-to-month -month, um, OPEX was actually a game-changer in allowing us to be sustainable. And, you know, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Congratulations. So, yeah, Let's thank go. You. Yeah. I think, um, I think I'm not sure after two years, I think hopefully we've sort of crossed that initial startup phase. 
so now we've got the model set up. For us, it's now more about uh, scaling. Um, and that's probably the next stage we're looking at, which is more about now we've got this set up. How can we expand? How can we add new verticals? How can we use this um, brand that we've, we've developed to, to actually start making some, some real money? Great. And, and like the follow-up on that would be like, how do you see the revenue mix shifting uh, as, as future goes on? Maybe you want to talk about some of the new verticals that you want to push on. Yeah. So for us, um, what I've also realized very early on, this is, you know, this is my first startup venture, right? So all these sort of things that, you know, obviously seem so obvious now to me have, have been new, that the cost of running our company doesn't really change that much. Whether we make, you know, $10,000 a month, or $50,000 a month, it doesn't really change those month-to-month overheads. Um, so it's uh, important that I've realized is that how can we grow the revenue streams? How can we expand into different areas? And uh, I'll put a little plug in here now, but uh, basically um, recruitment will be uh, what's going to be coming up next for us. We wanted to utilize our fantastic brand that we've built which is really built on trust and quality and consistency and uh, leverage that into uh, basically helping people find workers. Um, again, that'll be basically centered around our audiences, which is mostly expats, um, edu- very you know, highly educated Khmer's who always have a, a fantastic level of English. Um, and that'll be led by someone I've worked with for a while with CIR, uh, Tom Starkey, who's had some experience in recruitment previously. And uh, that should be launching. We've had a soft launch of that now. And probably around the end of Q1 next year is when I'd really like to start to have things full up and running. And hopefully we can uh, give you some more information when that happens. And I'm sure I'll be able to give you a thousand and one things we've done wrong and uh, <laughs> many more learnings on the way. Um, but yeah, to your point, the revenue mix, I, I, I couldn't give you a percentage of what we're aiming for. Um, besides to say that we just want to try and find new streams and uh, leveraging on that, that brand that we've built. Um, and you know, I, I mean, previously I used to get five to 10 messages a week of people asking, do you know someone for this role? And so it was just a very natural progression to, to utilize it. Just, just a random thought. Do you, do you think yeah. there would be demand for people? You said that there's not, um, that much demand for just like subscriptions in general. Mm. But, um, one thing that I feel like is quite rare to see here at this point is, um, is like a business directory, right? of all the all the companies all the startups there are there is one for the startups called startup cambodia but yeah i just feel like that's one thing that's like that you see really well covered in the region right mm-hmm. like i was just on uh, e27 this morning and looking through like you know this all the startups that you can find you know across many different countries but for cambodia it was like zero i mean they had they had very very few on there and me and Dom, we probably know hundreds of startups, but they're not they're not there yet. So I'm just curious if you think that's like a viable business model that people would pay for. Yeah, there are a few people doing that. Um, but I think it's all about the curation of it and then the publicity of it. And there's plenty of uh, directories that get made and then they never get followed up on or people don't know where to find them, for example. Uh, I see this all the time with people doing uh, like NGOs that come in and they want to make an investor platform. They want to have a fantastic directory. They get a great bit of money to set it up. Everyone's, you know, woohoo, big launch, fantastic. 
and then 12 months, 18 months down the line, half of them maybe have, have, have ended. The website's got some problems with it because the technical side wasn't followed up on. Um, the media was never paid properly, so there was no follow-up for us to keep promoting it. And it just it goes away until the next grant comes in and they do it all over again. So I've been here five, you know, five years of sort of being in the media game of Cambodia. I've seen that. I've seen the five-year cycles happening. And uh, so, yeah, there is there. It just, it just needs the follow-up. In, in terms of creating your content, um, over time, technology has actually very quickly developed for over the past year. Um, and from CAR's perspective, how have you, over the two years of the business, kind of transformed the way that you've been uh, producing your content from maybe more of the legacy way of, of writing to now with a tools that are available that either help um you know better curate better organize you know however you would describe it from a media perspective yeah i think um well without a doubt uh, ai is the obviously elephant in the room with that question uh off air we just said it was the one year anniversary um i think one year and one day i think november 30 last year and i could not imagine running the company now without it it was just so inbuilt now with our workflows, between social media posting, between editing, between you know every aspect now, even sales, even follow-ups and sales, we're, we're, we're utilizing it. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been an absolute game changer. That said, I still have to go to events. I still have to turn up. Right. I still have to record it. I still have to go and meet someone for a coffee. I still have to follow it up. I still have to move the buttons around. So while it saved me an enormous amount of time on on some of those editing and writing, I feel like I'm still as busy as I ever was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a funny thing about humans that, you know, they used to talk about, oh, we'd all just be relaxing and having pina coladas and computers would all be doing our work. <laughs> well, I think they're finding now that we're working as, as hard as we ever have, admittedly differently. You know, we're not toiling out with a, the spade and, you know, doing that as much as we used to. Well, that obviously still happens. But, um, yeah, I still find I'm working and from morning to night. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the iron. I think you mentioned it perfectly. It's it's like the irony of it is on on more of the uh, the written content side, and then from our side, we we of course use uh, the uh, we we of course use AI for a lot of the things that we do, whether it's like creating shorts, um, you know, whether for editing podcast mm. episodes as well. But you come to find that. Like okay, this this saves me time, but at the same time, I'm having to reread you know the same article several times to make sure that nothing was incorrectly written or on our side that something wasn't cut out that was like abruptly cut out. And so, it, it there is it, it's it's we'll eventually get there, but yeah, you're right. Right now, it's it's kind of funny because it at least gives you that that piece of. Um, the more that you work in it, the more that you'll continue to master it. And then from there, you'll be able to, you know, later down the line, once it becomes more advanced, you know, it'll be a lot, it'll feel a lot more naturally streamlined into the business. Yeah. And people are designing, like us, we're designing our workflows now around it. Mm -hmm. So on top of that, we're actually bringing it in. Um, but I have a, a journalism club with CAMED, which is um, 
in my opinion, one of the best run schools in, in the country. Uh, and we're trying to work with them as well. And thankfully that they've gone down the path of saying that, you know, AI is a tool. It is, you know, like you would your spell check, we, you use it. And I think um, I'm really glad that Cambodia has taken that approach because when it first came out, I was fearful it would be going the other way and everyone will be saying it's called cheating. Yeah. Um, and it's, even if you do think it's cheating, if you aren't prepared for it at school, you come in to work with us, we have to then train you up to mm-hmm. begin with. And quite frankly, the first question I'll ask now in an interview is, do you use ChatGPT? The answer is no. I, quite, I will just be, okay, no, no, no thank you. Mm. Um, that's pretty much my first question I asked. Interesting. Yeah. Is, uh, but is ChatGPT the best one? I mean, what about, what about Grok? What about Bard? What about Anthropic? What, like, is that or is generative uh, content writing? I think so. Um, yeah, I do actually. I think if you're just saying, if you've, tried, if you've gone to an event or an interview and you've got all your notes down and key points and then you prompt it to, you have the right prompts and we've, got some, we've been testing this a lot, different prompts. That's <laughs> one of my favorite pastimes now is to play around with prompts. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it is. I do actually, I would say. Yeah. What about yourself? I'm looking forward to using, using Grok because I, they have this like fun setting and then they have the more like serious settings. So I'm just curious. I haven't actually used it yet, but I'm curious on how that will like differentiate the, um, the, the answers. Yeah. I mean, I think ChatGPT has some like beta versions and there are some little sandbox things that they play around with. Um, and yeah, I mean, for us, I think we pay a $20 a month membership. In Cambodia, you still need a um, VPN to access, yeah. which is actually, I mean, a VPN costs us about $15 a month. And it's uh, company-wide, right? So it's like, can everybody from the company use it? Or... I think you can have a few devices under it. Okay. Um, but it, it's intended for personal use. So uh, I think you might need to get one for each, for each person of the company. Um, but yeah, I mean, fifteen dollars to us is is nothing in in, in what we're doing. Um, but if you're a young student in rural Cambodia, it's actually quite a lot. You know, a lot of Cambodians five dollars a day is the income, and you want me to spend three dollars of my income on a VPN, and another four days of my income on the ChatGPT four. So I really hope that I've actually spoken to some of the NGOs about this who do you know helping people out with digital transformation. I said. Why don't you do a deal with these guys and buy a bunch of VPNs and a bunch of uh, memberships and give them away for free? I mean, the bang for buck on that is just would be huge. Um, but yeah, that said, the uh, the infrastructure in some of the rural parts of Cambodia too is still needs to be caught up for internet. Yeah. In terms of like the younger generation that want to come up and and be involved in media and whether it is in journalism, whether it's in uh, production thing, you know any of these yep. uh, areas within the sector um have you found that kind of energy and excitement and do you get a lot of inbound from maybe university students or or young professionals who uh you know who who want to come on as as a as a freelance contractor or things like this and does that give you a kind of a sense of how the sector will develop like over the coming years yeah i think um well, sort of the most well-known journalism school here is Department of Media and Communications at RUPP. And uh, they're funded by a German, a German organization. 
and I found that a lot of the students from there was, yeah, there was a fantastic assignment. Um, a little bit more based on, you know, they were very fascinated on human rights and on, you know, democracy. And I think that might have come from their, their German, the German agenda there being pushed, the European agenda. Um, you know, EU concepts and all this sort of stuff, uh, but not necessarily the right fit for us, which is, I want you to go to an event about financial technology. I want you to sit there and tell me what's happening in the digital world for banks. And I want you to go and interview the CEO of the insurance company about market trends. And so that's quite an undertaking for maybe a, a young individual come to, th- you know, come to think it of is. it. Yeah. And, um, there's also a thing for, you know, in I guess in any culture, there's, there's always age barriers. Uh, but I think it's more pronounced in Cambodia. I think the concept of a, of, a, of, a, of a very young person sitting down with a much older senior person, a very highly respected person, is very daunting. Um, and so this is what we try and do with our, our students at CAMED, actually. I spoke to a lot of the employers there, and they said, well, the technical skills are fantastic. You know, it's interesting. CAMED has an actual international standard of a degree. One of the only ones in Cambodia where you can take this degree and go and work in Australia or in Europe. Most of the time, you take a Cambodian degree and it's not worth anything. Um, so one I've always said, you've got the technical skills, but have you got the soft skills? And back to our point about AI, as AI takes over all those technical skills, really all you have left is soft skills. If you haven't got the ability to go and sit and have a lunch with the CEO of a company, have a joke, you know, if it's, you know, have a glass of wine, sit with them properly, talk about the families, get to know them, then, you know, I think moving forward, you're going to really struggle. It's, it's <clears throat> that's funny. Me and, me and Dom were actually having this conversation. Um, I think it was Monday evening and we were talking about like, how do you like, how do you position for, um, if you feel like you've, you've got a task that feels like robotic, right? And maybe could be replaced by AI, what you have to, lean into more is as you're saying these like soft skills relationships sales anything to do with people or even just managing people as well um but yeah i think but as you say that one of the issues with that is there is also now this you've still got this big cultural issue of of um there needing to be like a closer alignment on ages right yeah i think um again i think that's any culture age gender race language these are all things that you know you have to learn to overcome. Status as well. Yeah, of course. If you've uh, if you're from a low income family, and you know this person's from a high income family, uh, yeah, of course, instantly on both sides, it can take time to build that. Um, I find that I think Westerners we sometimes forget that, or expats in you know in the region we just think because we're sort of we're our own category, and we sort of can forget that you know that there's these thousands of year old uh societal structures that have been set up and we sort of just pop on the top and uh we sometimes i think forget yeah and i I guess too it's it's one of those um from it from more of a a human perspective and in terms of developing these soft skills it's also breaking it down or you know especially doing interviews with on our side and you know on your side too with very you know high profile individuals successful startup founders investors etc uh creatives um you know it's 
really what it comes down to is realizing it's it's another person it's another human it's they're they're doing their life how they're doing their life you're doing your life how you're doing your life and it's just a conversation of just exploration and knowledge versus oh i'm you know speaking to someone of this status so that's not to say that it is completely recognized of the status but it's also just speaking to someone as if they're a human yeah i think without a doubt the old you know put one one shoe on at a time or one pair of pants at a time it's uh it is i am you you are me all those sort of old school sayings that we use um i agree 100 percent. so we've covered we've covered cir you know we've covered your backgrounds and also the exciting things that are happening in in the future um with with the recruitment um, piece of Cambodia Investment Review, and um, you know, there's a lot of things about you yourself, Harrison. You know that that we would like to know too, and in terms of more of your interpersonal life, and um, you know, what what are some of the things that keep you motivated day in day out as a, especially as a for as a as a um, you know foreigner entrepreneur too that that gives you that drive to like continue to keep going, like that kind of motivation. Yeah, besides the the monthly paycheck, I guess. <laughs> besides survival. Besides survival. Um, yeah, for us, I think you really get a lot out of uh, watching staff grow. I mean, we had one of our admin staff who came to us and, you know, just couldn't even look at me in the eye, couldn't even answer a simple question, was completely shy in every concept. You know, it was very basic of some of the work she's been doing. And then fast forward a year later, you know, we're having conversations with each other. You're seeing the growth in people. And I do think, you know, without putting a savior complex on myself, as a lot of Westerners like to do here, mm. I do think that we, we got someone who could have gone to a very different company and been put in a corner and have no experience and treated badly. And we did the opposite, and it, it's been such a successful and rewarding experience to, to see that. And that was something surprising. I didn't think I would get that much satisfaction out of, out of other people's success or other people's growth. Um, so, yeah, obviously, besides the monetary value of, of running a company that you need to support a family, which is you know, the, the most obvious driving factor, besides the revenue point, watching other people grow is fantastic too, and I really hope that uh, Tom Starkey, for example, who's going to run the recruitment side for us, has a similar experience of, 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 of his own and that we watch him grow and watch him succeed and hopefully he can come on the podcast and have his five minutes and I will probably get more love out of that than I do watching myself on a podcast. <laughs> well, one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning was you, know, you had the opportunity and were fortunate enough to be able to travel around the region. And um, one of these, uh, one of the ideas as well, and uh, you know, coming from the U.S. and a lot of people don't even have passports, and so it, it kind of has this opportunity for oh, less of an opportunity of open-mindedness when you experience other cultures. Have you felt like that experience of being able to travel was kind of an an unlock to? Not necessarily, not only necessarily from like a business perspective, but also from like a happiness perspective. Yeah, I think um, 
your the opportunity to go and see how other people run their countries and how other people live. While admittedly, we I think we all live you know reasonably similar concepts of lives, more or less. Uh, you do gain a much broader perspective of of life, and you do think that there's many ways that things can be done. I think Max said it right. There's no right or wrong always. And I think in Australia, you're sort of brought up to think, you know, as I'm sure you are as well in the US and the UK, you know, we are these amazing developed countries. Look how fantastic we are. Look at these undeveloped countries. It's all their fault. You know, if they only they did this, if only they did that, they'd be like us. Mm -hmm. And you come here and you realize that's not quite the case. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, you I'm sure we could have a conversation about things that we think could be done better. And uh, yeah, you realize that the way that you were living is not always the, the, the right or wrong way. It's just difference. And that's pretty important, I think, moving forward. Yeah, it, I actually had a, had a friend um, I was messaging about one or two weeks ago about it. And um, you know, he, he was in a position where he had traveled internationally for the first time. We, we actually had done it together. And um, he, he had messaged me and he was like, honestly, I, I had no idea about what this kind of unlock does to you. And so it, it was just interesting to get your perspective, having like had that opportunity and, you know, in hindsight, looking back now, I mean, it's been what, 10 plus years, right. Mm-hmm. Since that, since that opportunity has happened and it, it's, it's always fun to look back and see Not that old, but Hey, we're the, I mean, we're the same age. So uh, about six years, five, six years, five, six years, <laughs> five, six years. Okay. Correction on my part, but, but still, uh, I think the, the message is the same. It's, you know, sitting in the seat now and like thinking back on it and like reflecting, it's always interesting to say like, you know, what if, what if you didn't like, what if you didn't have the opportunity? Like what would be the alternative? Yeah. I think you become more cynical about your own country. Yeah. I've definitely realized that like it was the, uh, we were involved in the climate change summit recently. And I think the main sponsors were Australia and the UK. And uh, I couldn't think of two bigger polluting countries <laughs> traditionally. Yeah. I mean, England was, that was what you built it off. Yeah, industrial. Industrialization. And Australia, I think we export more coal than anyone. Maybe Brazil, I'm not sure. But, you know, and you sort of think there and we're telling tot, tot, tot to the Khmer saying, you know, you need to increase your renewable energy. That's fine. Well, I think there's mm. there's some really good analysis you can see is like what what percent of the carbon in the atmosphere is from um you know like developed countries like U.S. Europe. There's something like ninety, I think it's like ninety percent. Maybe China's at yeah. like five percent now because they've been industrializing for a good amount of time. Mm. But I mean, you're talking about emerging Asia, emerging Africa. Like it's it's a it's a drop in the ocean. So that it's not. Yeah, I, I fully agree that the whole kind of lecturing and patronizing narrative from the developed countries to try and kind of correct their mistakes um by by like showing by like trying to get people to like not make those mistakes again um they may not even be mistakes like we we actually i mean i guess the, it's still it's still like unclear uh, over the long term but um but yeah that's 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 an interesting perspective yeah i just think um yeah, you just you sort of like you're looking back. It's like when you're sitting on a beach, that's all you sort of see. Is then when you get in the boat away and you look back on the beach, you go, "Oh, that was it looks different now." It's a little bit of a different perspective that I've got. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, oh, we're in Cambodia. You know, it's the land of NGOs and of government. And I'm actually uh, 
reflecting on the next five years of Cambodia, without a doubt, the uncoupling of the donations and concessional lending and least developed country status um, benefits that that comes with, it would probably be one of its biggest challenges. Because uh, all of a sudden, I think by 2027, 2020, 2030, it'll be, we're on le- evil playing fields with Vietnam and with Thailand. And hang on a second, you know, if we aren't increasing our productivity levels up, if we aren't ensuring that our ESG frameworks are properly set up, we're just going to find ourselves quickly um, out, out uncompetitive for people to come in and to, to do things here. Um, so, yeah, I actually think the next five years will be a real, it's, it's going to be hard work, but, uh, you know, the new government, or it's the same government, but the, there's been a new, new generation that has come through. I hope, uh, and I'm, I'm sure they'll be up to the challenge, but it will be a challenge without a doubt. Are there any particular like uh, you know upcoming events or um, or like sectors or anything that you that you would like highlight as like milestones in the future to be aware of for people like looking out out at the trajectory yeah. of Cambodia? Well, I mean, you could argue that the ASEAN summit and the ASEAN Games that they held recently was probably in their minds a milestone. Isn't probably what they envisioned to be, you know. This is Cambodia now. In the, this is the new Cambodia. I mean, not sure, not long after that, the elections and then the um, yeah, the new prime minister has come in. So I do think you can sort of see how that they've that this is the narrative they've been trying to say. Um, moving forward, uh, I really think the sector that needs the most attention has got to be education. I mean, infrastructure obviously is 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 doing its thing, and I think Cambodia's. You know, I'm seeing new new roads, new bridges, new hospitals, uh, hopefully new schools coming online. Um, but the actual content and quality of the education needs to be improved. I've always said that a Singapore model of English at school, Khmer at home, or Khmer as a subject, would be revolutionary for the country. I understand why that some may feel that's a loss of culture. However, if they want to achieve the 2030 vision of upper middle income country, which is around $4,000 a year, um, yeah, per capita, with, there are about $1,900 now, which would mean a doubling in seven years, which is what, 10% not factoring inflation. So if you want to tell me that we're going to be hitting those sort of targets, you need to be showing me a pretty revolutionary uh, mindset. And I think bringing in some really big structural reforms to how education is done in Cambodia across the kingdom, not just for the wealthy elites at private school, but for the kids out in Song Tre, in different parts, and out in Sam Reap, in Sanukville, across the country, that they need to be, need to be pushing. Um, Cambodia is already a small population with a, with a relatively low productivity across the region. So ensuring that every single Cambodian is, is well-educated and driving um, is paramount to hitting those targets. Yeah, no, I was, I was just doing some, some quick math. Um, I think, so with the GDP at 30 billion today, you'd need to grow at 7% for 10 years compounded to reach the 60 billion, right, that you're, that you're mentioning. Is that, is, that, is that point where it's 4,000 GDP per capita? Yeah. yeah, and again, I'm not saying these things are impossible. The current economic conditions is, is going to make it harder, without a doubt. I think, um, you know, as I'm 
the previous podcast people have spoken about uh, the 7% year-on-year growth that has been sort of the hallmark of the last 20 years, you know, up till 2019. I don't envision that happening again. And in two ways to look at that, I don't think it's also sustainable to have that forever. I mean, to grow at that rate is just, is phenomenal. And, you know, as they say, it takes a, you know, to break a few eggs to make an omelet. But if you want to keep growing like that, you've got to break a lot of eggs. And I also think the slowdown could be a little good chance for the country just to take stock, have a think back, and maybe plan a little bit more for the next 20 years. Um, because that sort of growth just leads to uncontrolled um, and some issues that have, have arisen from that, especially in places like Sanukville. Mm. Yeah, you, you, uh, you mentioned on like the 7% growth that's projected or, or like, I, I guess more of a, like the World Bank and, and these kind of organizations that say, oh, it's 5.5, you know, between 5 to 5.5%. But when you actually look into it, it's, you know, it's more like you're cherry picking certain data points to be able to get mm-hmm. to this percentage versus actually looking at other economic indicators, which um, on the episode with, with Stephen is actually a really interesting deep dive on... on Dr. Doom. And <laughs> Doom or realism? How how we uh, well? How, in yeah. fairness, to the World Bank they say five percent with huge downside risks. <laughs> so take but that the, as you as as you will. Yeah, yeah, I guess the downside risk is the small disclaimer that's on like size four font that's in the bottom left corner of the uh, of the, uh, of the report <laughs> of the report. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's of course there are a lot of challenges, but um, you know, like you said, maybe. Um, Maybe that this this reset or reformat of thinking, um, you know, and then and then seeing how that will compound over the following years. You know, it may not be you know to the sixty billion mark by you know twenty thirty, for example, but still there's a there's that opportunity for growth, but still significant growth and significant compounding of of that growth. Yeah, and the other thing is is like I think there was this announcement at the beginning of this year that they'd actually. Um, readjusted the GDP because they they're including some of the um, let's say the more sh- like shadow economy, right? So I think there is also maybe that's also another way that you can you can uh, bring the figures up because of course like GDP is also normally you don't normally include like unregistered businesses and all that kind of thing. So hundred percent, I think um, we did an article about this recently. Yeah, I think it's like twenty twelve or twenty sixteen. These figures are quite uh, not that re- recent. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I mean, with a big upgrade in the stats, plus some more things going the right way, yeah, we, it, it could reach. But again, I mean, you know, we do need to have this revolutionary thinking um, to, if you want to hit those big targets. Right. Yeah, I think no. Yeah, I think you'd have to get to right. You'd have to get to about sixty billion in in nominal GDP. Okay. And um, just as we're like wrapping up towards the end of the podcast, uh, a few final questions for us, like more diving into the into the interpersonal. Um, how do you kind of keep, how do you keep yourself grounded and motivated in your, in your pursuits and everything that you're trying to achieve here? What, what have been some habits that, that stick out? Yeah, I think, um, you know, keeping grounded for me in Cambodia is the work without a doubt. Uh, for any expat that wants to come to Cambodia, you need to find yourself a hobby or you need to find yourself a job or something that keeps you waking up on time and out of the bars until a reasonable hour uh, because it's that sort of place. 
And you could probably also draw parallels to Thailand, maybe Vietnam as well, Philippines, these sort of countries where, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty hard and fast culture, especially amongst the expat communities. Um, and if you don't have that, you know, that someone pulling you back or that someone keeping you in check, I've seen it get away from people a lot here. And all of a sudden, from going a work-life balance, it rapidly goes to a, a 90% life balance and a 10% work. And that's when things really fall off the rails. And yeah, so keeping grounded, I think you need to have those, those daily responsibilities, um, something that, 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 that drives you to, to, to maintain. Um, and it's not for everyone. I mean, I know people who have come here, done six months, I've got to go home. It's, you know, it, 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 it can get the better of people if they're not prepared for it. Um, so keeping, yeah, keeping grounded and keeping sane is, is definitely responsibilities of family and work for me personally. Are there any uh, particular like resources, books, uh, like any kind of things that have stuck with you over time that are also some things that you draw upon, you know, in times when you, are, you know, trying to stay motivated? I mean, probably Google, actually. I do. Uh, I, I can be a bit of a emotional Googler if, uh, you know, depending how you're feeling, the old, how do I stop feeling like this? Or how can I change myself with this? I'm sure if you went through my Google history, it would be littered of things like that every couple of days. Um, so yeah, a lot of uh, online self-help, which I'm not sure is always the best self-help. Um, but yeah, I think uh, looking into how other people deal with things, going for coffee with someone or a beer or whatever it might be, and just asking how they navigated a similar issue. And nine times out of 10, you go and speak with someone who's been here, you know, who's like maybe 50 years old or something got a wife and kids, had a business, nine times out of 10, the same problem you have, he or she has had. And you also then realize that what you're going through is actually very common. And it's also sort of reassures you that there's nothing weird with you, that everyone has these doubts of themselves. Everyone has these issues with, with employees and, and with clients. And you just, you, you try and stand together, I guess, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good way about finding people that are in similar situations and just being able to have the open and frank conversations. I mean, and and just ultimately being able to learn. Um, aside from, of course, Cambodia Investment Review, do you have any other suggestions of books or um, outlets in which you can suggest to people who are interested in learning more about Cambodia, whether it's from a business perspective or um, from uh, any, any other, um, I guess, area of news? Yeah, I think um, there are some good local sites that are coming on board now. You've sort of got the big, I'd say there's probably maybe five or six local uh, English language news sites that are always fantastic. Um, but again, I think Google is just always, personally, it is just an amazing platform to search the internet on things. And if I was to recommend someone to do anything, it would be do their own research. Mm -hmm. And ideally, if you're not here, you've got to come here. If someone talks to me about Cambodia and I ask them, have you been to Cambodia? And the answer is no. I really don't want to talk any further about their opinions of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and I try not to do that myself. I mean, I've personally never been to the US. I mean, I have my thoughts about it, but I try not to comment too much on the US because I've never spent time there. Mm -hmm. I've never opened a business there. I've never lived there. Um, you know, I've spent a bit of time in Thailand and Vietnam. I can probably speak a little bit more intelligently about that. Uh, but yeah, I would say come here, 
give me a call. I'll take you out. And then I think if you still have those problems later on, well, then you've at least seen what we've got to say. Fair enough. And uh, just from from our side too, we actually, uh, the Essential Cambodia has been a, a good read too for, for any foreigners. Uh, a, I think I'm on a camera now. So yeah. I'm going to give this little plug to my dear friend, Alan Tan, mm-hmm. or His Excellency Alan Tan now, must, I must admit. Um, it's a fantastic book. Yeah. And I think there might be a PDF version you could probably get off yeah. on your Kindle or Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a, things like this there should be more of. Yeah, and it's a you know it's a shame that uh, there isn't more of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to a, in, in Australia or the US, there's probably ten thousand books mm-hmm. about doing business here. Um, but for Cambodia, it's there's not that many, and um, it's great that he's put so much effort into it and. I remember reading the original uh, version of it and the, the amount of effort and ensuring that everything you said was accurate. Is, it's been really amazing. And uh, yeah, I think thanks for bringing that up. That should cannot be a forgetful <laughs> bit of resource for anyone looking to come to Cambodia. No, of course, of course. And um, a fellow rising giant, I can uh, remember. Yeah, yep. I can't remember the number, but oh, gosh, <laughs> uh, honestly, it's or we're on episode I think 110. We'll have to take a look back, but I think he's he's due for a, a round two at some point with the new studio setup. Yeah, I think just following on that point as we're wrapping up, um, one more bit of advice is to come to Cambodia to build a network. Mm-hmm. I think just spend the first six months going to all the business chamber events going for coffee with as many people as you can and really it is such a clicky community um for anyone lives in a small town there's pros and cons around that um, but ensuring that you've got the blessings of your community is very important here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and that's probably more than any other market that i've seen you know in thailand in bangkok or if you go to i guess ho chi minh city in vietnam they're so big you can sort of operate in different silos. So here it's, it's probably like one, maybe two communities, but that's about it. <laughs> that's fair, actually. That, that kind of ties into the, our our uh, um, traditional closing question of, you know, what's the greatest piece of advice that you've ever been given? But that sounds like some great, that sounds like a very great piece of advice to give for, for, and for anyone that's listening, uh, especially, um, you know, anyone that's looking to learn more or do business in Cambodia. Um, one final thing I will ask, though, is can you please share with us where people can go and find Cambodia Investment Review? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, CambodiaInvestmentReview.com. <laughs> uh, I've always thought we actually were going to call it um, CIRmedia.com, but the URL was taken for 10 grand. And we, I thought that Cambodian investment review would be a bit too long, but upon reflection, everyone tells me that no one never really types the full name out anyway. Firstly, if you've been to the site, it'll just pop up in your history. Mm-hmm. And secondly, most people just type into Google and it comes up in you know, the first hit. SEO flex. SEO flex, exactly right. <laughs> well, if we haven't got Cambodia investment review at the top, I think something's in trouble. <laughs> SEO flex or not. Um, but I'm sure we'll put the description down uh, in the link. Uh, Telegram, LinkedIn, Facebook are also platforms that you can find us on. Yeah, and and one quick note to um, you know Max and I, especially on the Rising Giant side, are um, you know we're very fortunate and, and uh, really appreciate the partnership too with with you covering 
um, all the you know recent podcasts that we've had and um, putting it into a summarized condensed version on on your site as well so thank you for for that as well no worries I, i'm still waiting for our mou but um, <laughs> our photo op might come after the podcast i think fair enough well harrison it's been fantastic talking with you today we've you know had an absolute blast and uh you know look forward to continued conversations continued partnerships and really excited for the future of of, of cir and as well as kind of growing together in this sector of uh cambodia too Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much.